Welcome in, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Cap and Trade. I am your host, Texans Cap. You can follow me on Twitter at Texans Cap if you prefer the written form, capandtrade.substack.com. Uh, speaking of the Substack, finally was able to do a quick write up, did a uh, Shaq Mason uh, valuation, and we'll, we'll kind of dig into that maybe a little bit tonight. And uh, might get Brooks Cabina swinging by through here. Depends on if his uh, schedule works out with uh, him being at the owner's meetings, but got some other things we can talk about tonight. And if you got any questions, any comments, throw them up on the board. We'll get to as much as we can. Um, you know, just a continuation of free agency. And so see who's all in STX. Good to see you, bud. Sam, always good to see you, man. I appreciate the support. Like I said, if you, if you got any questions, throw them up on the board, make sure you hit that like button, hit that subscribe button really helps out the channel. I won't say the magic word tonight, I promise. So, what's going on this week? So, pro days went by. Uh, you know, a lot of talk about that with who attended, who didn't attend, especially with uh, Alabama and Ohio State uh, pro days and how that all functionality works. Um, you know, the owners' meetings are going on right now. And, you know, we finally got the Dalton Schultz contract uh, details kind of came through. Uh, got finally got a fairly decent salary cap space update. Posted that up on the on the Twitter timeline. So a lot going in. Chris, good evening. Good to see you. Truth, I know you're always here. Good to see you, bud. Dalton, appreciate you, man. So with that, one thing I wanted to talk about, and this was kind of right off the top, was Lamar Jackson. So you know he that was just fantastic timing by him right um you know he he put out his uh, little tweet letter saying that he requested a trade back on march 2nd which is prior to the end of the free age uh, the franchise tag period which was march 7th and so you know we see baltimore did the non-exclusive tag on him and so you know he felt like the team wasn't coming close to what the valuation that he had on the contract and so he asked for a trade and ultimately that led to a few questions coming my way and, and a few other folks way, you know, what, you know, can, can the Texans go after Lamar? Can they make that work? Things like that. And so like I always say with salary cap space and, and the way teams do things for the most part, nothing's impossible. There you usually can find a way to make things work if you really want the player. However, the tricky part with this is, with Lamar Jackson being on the non-exclusive tag, if the team were to put it in an offer sheet, Baltimore has the right to match. And by all accounts, it sounds like Baltimore is willing to pretty much match anything. And there's really, I really don't foresee Houston being able to put it together a contract and a contract structure that would just blow Baltimore out of the water on it. So that's point one. So I think Houston or a lot of other teams, no point in putting in the legwork. 
no point in putting in the research and the time of stressing your your uh, your administration department, your con- contract department, whatever they're called for your specific team. Putting all that effort into putting it, putting an offer sheet together for Lamar Jackson, if Baltimore's just going to come around and, and match it, why? If I'm the Texans, why am I putting my team through that hours of work, days of work? Why am I putting all this in and negotiating for Baltimore? Is pretty much the the thought process on that. So that would be point one. Point two is you have to have the cap space just to make the offer sheet. So, you know, let's say it's a $45 million, $45 million APY deal and you're able to structure it backloaded a little bit, but you're able to get that first year cap down. I don't know, 18, 22 million, something like that. Well, the Texans barely have just that much cap space now. And that doesn't account for signing the 15, $16 million draft class that you still would have to sign after the fact. So, you know, and that's that's if you did it after the draft. If you did it before the draft, then you're giving up one of one of your first round picks, which would be the number over the number two overall pick and and the pick the following year. But if I know a lot of people were talking about do it after the draft, so you give up picks twenty in twenty twenty four and twenty twenty five. But I just don't feasibly see how it makes sense to sign him, and you get that you know. You have that contract, and then you got to figure out a way to sign your draft class. It just doesn't, just doesn't align real well for me. Um, yeah, I mean, you could probably do some funky things. You'd maybe have to release a player, get your draft class signed, bring them back in later. I, it would just be some really, really funky salary cap maneuvering to to go down that path. And I just don't foresee the team looking to do that. I, I really don't. Um, it just doesn't make make sense at this point. It seems like they've built this roster around and they've structured all the contracts, all the salary cap things, everything built around that number, that 1.02 draft pick being a quarterback. That's just my sense of things. So that's kind of the things I wanted to touch on with Lamar is a, you know, you got to make the offer sheet. Baltimore is probably going to match B you've got to have the cap space to even make the offer sheet, which Houston, I guess, typically probably could. But if you're going to put a very low cap number in year one, that just makes it even that much easier for Baltimore to match because that is Baltimore's typical cap structure right off the bat is a big signing bonus with a a minimum P5 in year one. So that, that just plays right into Baltimore's hands. And you just start putting all those things together. It just doesn't really make a whole lot of sense for Houston. Would it be exciting? Yeah, it it would. I mean, he's a very dynamic player. Um, you know, you can say what you want about him, and you know, but at the end of the day, he's a very dynamic player for him, former MVP. And you would like to think that Bobby Sloak and, and company could figure out a way to make him work. But I just don't get the impression that that's anything that Houston is wanting to go down that path or anything like that. So that was one of the things I wanted to get off right off the bat. But the yeah, and SCX is right, man. The way he nailed that statement, that Twitter, that Twitter letter, was spot on. And I'm sure he he did the due diligence and found out when uh, the head coach John Harbaugh was going to be speaking at the owners at the owners meetings with with media. What time he was scheduled to sit down? And man, he sent that tweet right when Harbaugh sat down at the table, and Harbaugh got bombarded with with the questions. 
So it was it was a, a very very good play by Lamar. I mean, absent of the some of the other mistakes and missteps that he's had along the way in the past probably six to eight months, that was a pretty neat little deal. I, I will give him that. So that was pretty neat. Um, James, good to see you. Yes, as John says, smash that like button, man. That really helps things out. Smash that like button. It helps spread the channel, spread the show out amongst the YouTube world and get more views, get more, get more likes, more subs, and it just helps everything out. Would Lamar be able to say he wants to go to the other team if Baltimore were to match? No. If if Houston or, a, or another team made an offer sheet and Lamar accepted that offer sheet, Baltimore has the rights to match it. And if they match it, then Lamar's Lamar's got to go down that path. Now, I don't know what happened. You know, if he signs the offer sheet, which means he accepts it, then if Baltimore matches it, then that's his way of signing that that with that agreement with Baltimore. So he's pretty much he's pretty much stuck, stuck, stuck. So I, I like I said, I don't think uh, Houston is is able to go down that path with him. It doesn't really make a whole lot of sense to me. And, and I would just much rather start that rookie contract clock with Bryce Young or whoever they decide to draft. Um, but, you know, let's see. And, you know, that, and that's kind of a good little segue. You know, we saw the pro days happen. We saw the, the massive contingent that Carolina dis, uh, had on display at, you know, with CJ Stroud at the Ohio state day. And then the big contingent at Bryce with Bryce young, big contingent at Kentucky with Will Levis, not quite as big of a contingent at Florida with Anthony Richardson, just because Dave Tepper was at the, uh, the owners, the owners meetings. But, uh, you know, that was, uh, that stirred up a lot of things on, on the Texans Twitter timeline for sure. Seeing the owner, the owner's wife, head coach, quarterback coach, uh, general manager, uh, you know, director of player personnel. I mean, just this huge group of eight to 10, 11, 12 people from Carolina going in to watch CJ Stroud's pro day. Then you look over at Houston and it's director of player personnel, Jamie Lipford. Uh, I'm sorry. I don't remember the two names of the other two folks, but it was uh, regional scout and area scout. And that was it. And, you know, some folks, I wouldn't say we're, I mean, nobody was upset or anything. It just, you know, it kind of raised some questions like why is Nick Casario and D'Amico not at the pro days for Bryce Young and CJ Stroud when, you know, that is such a huge decision for this, for this organization. Why would you not want to see that up front? And I, I get the thought process. I get the question. I, I understand why you would ask that question, but I'm you, you see the way Casario speaks, talks, handles things. He's, you know, he's got no emotions tied to in, to anything when it comes to football related operations. And he's very much about efficiency and making every minute, every second count and everybody. And of course he comes from new England of that nomenclature of do your job. So, you know, you start factoring that all in together. It, it makes sense on that level that he is depending upon his scouting staff, his player personnel staff to make the evaluations and bring back the information to him. That's just another piece of the puzzle. You had the combine, you had the interviews at the combine, you had, you have 
you you know two years of a player tape to to go on these quarterbacks. Then you have top thirty visits, so they will be bringing in Anthony Richardson, Will Levis, C.J. Stroud, Bryce Young. They will be bringing all of those folks in for the top thirty player visits leading up to the draft. Uh, reports had it that they have already met with Hinn and Hooker. So I wouldn't I wouldn't be too concerned about not, Nick Casero not attending the pro days because, you, like I said, you factor in all those things. He's got a ton of information available. He's leaning on his staff to do their job. You know that's what Jamie Lipford and his folks are. To, or that's their job is to scout and get the player personnel, get the profiles, get the get the evaluation set up and feed that information to D'Amico, Ryans, and Nick Casario. And then you use the last piece, which is your top 30 visit, where you get you can have the player to yourself for hours upon hours, You know, bringing them into the facility, meeting with different parts of the staff, meeting with coaching staff, meeting with, you know, weight, you know, the weight team. After, I mean, you with the owners, you, I mean, he, they can meet with everybody and you have, you know, five, six, seven hours with them all day long. So I think that's just a, a critical piece as anything. Now, one thing I will will have a little bit of concern about is all the other players that are at those pro days, the Will Andersons, the Brian Branch, the, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, taking getting a peek look at, at Marvin Harrison Jr., you know, for the next draft, things like that. So I think it, it, it there is a little bit of, con, you know, concern and, you know, why wouldn't you at least want to go look at those guys? But again, I, I lean back on Casario is very much about efficiency and letting his people do their jobs. And one thing I always lean back on to as well is this coaching staff, because it took a while to get the, get, get the D'Amico Ryan's hired done, get the coaching staff in place, blowing through free agency. Uh, this team, you know, had 19 free agents, free agents signed between players re- retained and new players signed, you know, that you're already stressed in, you're already pushed behind the, on the, on the calendar when it comes to where the staff was by the time the staff was put in place, getting into free agency, you know, it's just a very compact schedule. So you put all that stuff together. It also leads to the point of, you know, maybe, maybe that's why he didn't go because he still had more things going on here. So, but, um, it looks like uh looks like Brooks is getting sorted up, ready to go here in a second. But uh yeah, so we'll uh we'll get uh Brooks's takes on some of these things as well. Uh let's see here. Da, da, da. So if you got any questions, throw them up. We'll try to get to everything we can and let's bring in Mr. Brooks Cabina of There he is. Kind of oh, went all black. Can you hear us, Brooks? Can you hear us? Brooks? Uh oh. Looks like he's in a car or something. Uh oh, let me hop back off. So we'll try we'll try to get him back on here in a second. Uh let's see here. Let's look at some of the comments. So did you hear D'Amico kind of tip his hand on us drafting a QB? I didn't. I mean I heard I saw some of the some of the the words that he that he spoke. I don't know that it was really tipping of the hand. 
Um, but it wouldn't surprise me if, you know, new head coach still kind of getting into those things first time at that, in that kind of situation that something might leak through, but I still feel like Carolina's in on Stroud. Um, I think the, the Las Vegas books feel the same way. Uh, he's still the leading favorite. I get all of the, the leaks coming down that, you know, Carolina might go with Bryce Young or they haven't made up their mind yet. I just personally don't buy any of that stuff. I think they're in on Stroud and they're going to try to do everything they can to try to leverage and push Houston into thinking that they're going to take Bryce Young and try to leverage Houston and giving up that, you know, that 1.33 draft slot, you know, the first pick on day two or something else just to, just to flip flop for them and still get CJ Stroud. So maybe I'm completely wrong in that, but that's just the read that I have on the situation that, um, that, that I just feel like they're, they're, they're in on Stroud. So, but we'll get back to what I was talking about with, with the pro days and stuff. And I, and I do know that, and I do acknowledge that, you know, Nick was, they had the, the university of Houston pro day, they had SMUs, they had some local ones and, you know, there's, there's something to be said about that. You know, maybe, you know, maybe you want your GM hitting some of those lower, not lower, but less prolific pro days to where um, maybe you're looking for more day three information, you know, more diamonds in the rough per se and things like that. So that would be the only other side piece to that, you know, and like I said, the top 30 visits are going to be, are going to be really, really crucial. That looks like, (laughs) looks like Brooks is still having trouble getting connected in. It looks like he goes to different places. Um, D'Amico hinting at taking a QB is different than saying he's going to be, it's going to be at pick two. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. I feel like it's, it's Bryce younger or nothing at this point. So what's the chance of Kirksey being a starting linebacker this year, Chris? I would say zero with, you know, I mean, Denzel Perriman's still not official. I, I'd heard it was going to be Wednesday or Thursday and here we are Wednesday night and it's still not official. So, I don't know what's going on with that. I, you know, I don't know if the medical stuff's still going through or, or what. But uh, you know, I, I assumed Kirksey would potentially be released once Perryman's deal is done. So, I, you know, maybe maybe you can get him on a pay cut and, you know, and he becomes depth. But I just don't foresee him being a starting linebacker again this year, and I certainly don't hope not. Certainly hope not. <laughs> Patrick, what's up, man? My favorite YouTuber. Oh, I appreciate that. Let's see here. Tom McShay said he has a source that has never been wrong on info saying Carolina's going with Bryce. I mean, it, Todd McShay is definitely more plugged in than I am, but uh, <laughs> by by a mile. So maybe, maybe, maybe Carolina. I mean, I feel like Carolina's just going to play this very, very tough game of of trying to push the Bryce Young narrative. And maybe they're going to, but I just don't see it. I still feel like Carolina's in on, on C.J. Stroud. So, uh, Brooks is wandering around. I'm not even sure where he's at. Looks like he's trying to find. Let's see. Let me text him. 
This is hilarious watching him like wander around like a lost kid trying to find a spot. I don't know if he's looking for a good Wi-Fi connection or whatever. Um, let's see here. Danger Mara and McShay are saying Bryce Carolina. May, hey, maybe that's the case. So let's say that happens. Let's say Bryce Young goes to Carolina. Um, I, I'm not that big on CJ Stroud. He, I mean, he, he's a, I mean, he looks like, he almost feels like a, like a safe quarterback, like a safe pick. You know, it doesn't, he doesn't have that wow factor to me. He's got prototypical size. Um, he's got a good arm, not a fan, not a fantastic arm, but he's got a good enough arm to make all the throws. Um, put aside all the David Mulligetta stuff. Um, but he just doesn't, for me, I'm not talking about for Houston or, or for anybody else, but for me, he just he just doesn't get me excited. You know, if you wanted to trade back out of two, and if you could get C.J. Stroud later in the top ten, then maybe I could be a little more bought in, but I just don't like Stroud at two as much as I like Bryce Young at two. And I've said that from since since October, you know, that I feel like it's – Bryce Young or nothing. So that would be my take on the situation if they if they if Bryce Young did go, go to Carolina at pick you know pick one. If they went with Stroud at two, I mean, I who am I to argue with it? I, I just it's not for me. But you know, he would start, but still be a a viable, good, strong quarterback for especially in this system i think this system we've seen it work for multiple quarterbacks so maybe it kind of worked for multiple quarterbacks and you know it's not the most difficult system in the world so maybe you know maybe cj stroud would do well in it but i feel like if they went if bryce young went one dot over one dot one to carolina i feel like houston would shift dramatically you know whether it's uh uh taking will anderson at two trading back for Richardson or, or, or Levis, or, you know, look at one of those guys at pick 12 or something like that. But for me, that changes the whole dynamic. I just don't see, you know, Houston just saying, Oh, well, you took Bryce Young. I guess we'll take, we'll take CJ Stroud. I, I just don't agree with the premise that, you know, you, you, you're fine with whoever Carolina takes because you can take the other guy that's left over. That's just not me. I, 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 I want Bryce Young. If it's not Bryce Young, then it's not C.J. Stroud. And, you know, go with somebody else. Figure out a different plan. But you get, the, you've you got to be ready for, for both situations. You, you can't just depend on it. And I certainly don't want Houston to try to trade up. You know, it's it's just a weird situation. I'm being super picky. I know. I want Bryce Young at pick, you know, number two and nothing else. I don't want to have to trade up to number one to get Bryce Young and give up, you know, the first pick on day two. And if, and I don't want Bryce Young to go one number one overall. So we'll see what happens. I feel like, you know, what we'll I mean, like I said, those guys are pretty plugged in, but who knows? Tuck's giving what's up, buddy? Sorry you're late. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about Lamar in the beginning. So you didn't miss too much. Let's see what else is on here. <laughs> Sam says the week of the draft when the Vegas odds will be really telling. Yeah, I mean, shoot, last, this, the last draft, I mean, 
the Derek Stingley pick wasn't really known until till what, like 30, 45 minutes, an hour before the draft started that it was really like, oh, there's a chance they're going to take Derek Stingley. I mean, it wasn't really on my radar. So Sean says, even if Carolina takes BYU, this trial just as good. Yeah, I mean, I just, I just can't, I just can't get on board with Stroud. I, I don't know, I don't know why. I just, just doesn't have that it factor to me, and he, I just feel like he's a, a, a slight upgrade over Davis Mills. <laughs> That's how I feel about Stroud. So, John, what's up, buddy? John likes Stroud a lot. Hey, hey, good man. I, I. You know, I don't have any problem, but I, I would, I don't want anything to do with Will Levis. Absolutely not. I just, no, even though he's got history in the system. I mean, I don't like, I don't like the idea of Anthony Richardson, but I would be much more apt to take Anthony Richardson than I would Will Levis. I just, Will Levis, no thank you. But yeah, if BY goes to, to one overall, then I'm good with shifting. Go to Will Anderson. Um, you know, I'm a little iffy on Hinn and Hooker as like a day two pick. If you wanted to go down that path, it just, you know, I was listening to um, the pros to Joe's uh, podcast this morning and it kind of, you know, it kind of hit something that I've been thinking about when they were talking about Hinn and Hooker and, and Jalen Hyatt in that Tennessee system. That is basically the Art Bryles system that uh, Baylor ran for so many years and that you never rare or not never never say never but rarely do you see quarterbacks or wide receivers prosper at the next level coming out of that system and there's some concerns and Lance Zerline was on there kind of echo echoing that thought that there is concerns with Hinton Hooker coming out of that type of system and that his skills translating over to the NFL so I'd be a little bit leery based on that kind of feedback with, with Hinton Hooker if you wanted to look at him on a day two kind of pick. But I, I just would rather just go Will Anderson and, and figure out a plan for Anthony Richardson or build around Davis Mills. I mean, I hate that idea, but, you know, that's, you know, I just, I just hope it's Bryce Young. You know, at this point, I'm not worried about Bryce Young's size. Um I'm not worried about, you know, I think he's got the it factor. I think he can make all the throws. You see him at his pro day, the way he throws. It's like it's like Drew, uh, Drew Brees where he gets up on his toes and he's throwing. And so he's elevating his height. So I'm not really too concerned about his height. And they can build the throw in lanes for him and things like that. And I just think he's got the processing, the, uh, the mentality that you want out of your quarterback. Um, you know, the feedback from out, out of Alabama is just – just fantastic about him and how his preparation for the game is just way above anything they've ever seen before. And, you know, he was bringing plays to the meetings and, you know, I feel like, I feel like he's, he's the guy. So, um, let's see here. So what else did we have on here? So there was a question back at the beginning. It was before the, before the show started. So TJ had asked about uh, void years. So we're, we're starting to see Houston bring void years into their contracts. Uh, we saw it with Sheldon Rankins, and then we saw three void years on Dalton Schultz. And I've said it before, you know, the team's getting 
pretty tied up on the salary cap. Um, you know, I think they're like effective, like four and a half million, something like that before the, before Denzel Perryman becomes official. But the reason why Houston's using them is it's literally just to shift some cap dollars into 2024. This, the Dalton Schultz deal, you know, they're going to, I think they're going to shift what I think three and a half million. So let me get his contract up here real quick. So he's got a cap charge of 2.8 this year, and then he'll have a, a dead money charge of 3.3 million in 2024. So by adding those three void years up there, they're able to shift the signing bonus proration. So he received a $6 million signing bonus. It's a, it's got, it's a one year deal with three void years. So you spread that, that money out over four years, but the three prorated years, 2024 through 2026, all that money will hit in 2024 as dead money. So that's assuming the team doesn't extend him or anything like that. I haven't seen the void, the actual void date on the contract. If I had to guess, it's the 23rd day prior to the start of the league year next year, which is basically the day before the franchise period starts. So, you know, uh, say Dalton Schultz, just has a fantastic year, right? Houston could do potentially do an extension, you know, the back half of the regular season, um, or they could do it right after the season. They would just have to do it before the void date hits to avoid all that money, that prorated money accelerating up into 2024. They got the extension done. Then all that prorated money out in 25 and 26 will stay in place in those individual years. So, but essentially it's just, you know, we don't have the cap space to take the full six and a half million this year. So we're going to place 2.8 We're we're going to use our accounting functions. Like I say, with salary cap, it's an accounting function of the cash you spend. We're going to place 2.8 million of it in the 2023 year cap. And we're going to place the other 3.3 million over here in 2024. We're just, doing some accounting tricks and we're going to put the money here and the other money here. You know, you're, you're, you're leaning on a, on a salary cap that's going to grow. And so that 3.3 million is just not a, not a big deal. So that's how the void years work. So truth says Cappy did a mock extension for Shaq. Yeah, I did today. I, I sent that out. So if you're subscribing to the cap and trade newsletter, you would have gotten that today. Uh, Let me see if I can get that up here. We'll take a look at it. I did kind of a, I didn't go and do a full video or anything like that. Like I did with some of the other contract stuff. Let me see here. Present share screen. All right. Okay. So what we did is, you know, this is the newsletter if you if you haven't seen it. So it's it's not this one's a little bit shorter, but I kind of looked at the the market and there was a gap between Cody Whitehair with who was at I think 10.75 million per year and then Ben Powers who just signed a new uh, unrestricted free agent contract at 13 million per year. And Ben Powers is 27 years old. Shaq Mason's 30. 
so that was kind of where I was looking at. And then, you know, I hit up a couple of folks that, that do, uh, do valuations on, on these contracts and kind of ran some numbers past them. And we kind of settled on around 11, 11.5 million per year as kind of a potential valuation. So, um, that's where this came in. Let me zoom this in a little bit here. Do one more. Okay, there we go. So what we came up with was, you know, 11.75 million per year on a three-year extension. And I did one void year just because I wanted to uh, spread out some of the cap the prorated cap over a fifth year to lower it down in the first year. And so, and it looks like Brooks is getting sorted. So we'll get you on here in just a second, Brooks. So what we did is uh 22 and a half million fully guaranteed at signing, which was fully guaranteed salary in year one or, you know, 2023 and 2024 and a uh, $12 million signing bonus. Is that on here at all? Oh, there it is. Yeah, twelve million, and then I did uh, you know five hundred thousand per year in per game roster bonuses, and then uh, incentives of five hundred thousand per year that was built around playing time and um, Pro Bowl nomination. So you know he could make up to uh, thirty-seven point two five million. So you know, is you know if you want to subscribe to the to the newsletter and you can kind of read all the details on it, but this would put him, I think, around. Um, amongst left guards and right guards, you know, the top guard is paid over like a little over 20 million per year. So this will put him in the top 15 pay. He's due to make 8.5 million this year. So, you know, hopefully uh, the team can, can get that working. But if you, if you, if you don't subscribe to it, um, you know, I tweeted out on the timeline and you can uh, get that. And whenever I do write stuff, which is sometimes more often than not, or sometimes it, I go in, I go in spurts. Sometimes they come out quickly. Sometimes they don't. So let's try again with Mr. Brooks. Hey, <laughs> you look, you, you look, you look excited. Like you're a little frustrated. Well, uh, I, I, I was going to fly back from, uh, from Phoenix tomorrow, but um, I was like, hey, there's a you know afternoon flight back to Houston today. So then I'll spare you all the details. I apologize for being late, but um, That's okay. here I am. Mate, are you, so you're back in Houston now? Back in Houston. Yeah, oh, got okay. back Good. today. Uh, spoke with Cal and Hannah McNair this morning at the Biltmore in Arizona. Closed out the NFL annual meetings. And uh, yeah, so uh, finished off our round of stories and uh, here we are back at back at H town. So here we are. So what, what's the biggest takeaway from the owners meetings for you after speaking again with D'Amico and uh, I don't know if you got to talk to Casario much at all and, and McNair and just kind of overarching takeaways from, from being there. Well, so didn't speak publicly with Nick Casario this week. I saw him around a couple of times, but, uh, he did not speak officially in interviews. He did last year, but uh, did talk to D'Amico Ryans on Monday and uh, Cal and Hannah McNair this morning. Um, big takeaways. Um, 
I thought really what was uh, kind of the big thing from D'Amico and, and from Monday was when we asked him and talked to him about the quarterback situation, everybody was wondering about Bryce Young because right now it seems C.J. Stroud is, and even more so after I was talking to a few other people throughout the week with the Panthers, is that it seems like Stroud's the number one um, at this point. Uh, Bryce Young would then be available for the Texans. Is there any reservations about him, et cetera? Um, but uh, when asked about his size or anything, D'Amico Ryan's like, it doesn't matter. Um, and that kind of shows that if he's there, um, that's someone that they'd be interested in. Um, I I talked to, um, you know, when we were talking with Cal McNair this morning, uh, one of the things that I wanted to talk to him about was um, the possibilities of trading to number one. Um, and I'm pulling up the quote right now. And because uh, Chicago, whenever they were inquiring for trades, uh, the Texans were interested. And, I mean, the Bears took away from the Panthers um, two first rounds, two second rounds, and DJ Moore. I mean, they're looking for the highest bidder. So to go from two to one obviously would not have been that big of a jump for the Texans. So asking him again um, – I said, are you interested in moving up in the draft at all? And he said, well, I think Carolina trade with Chicago, and we were talking about that, um, if my memory serves. They moved up. They felt strongly, and we're up at number two, and we'll find a really good player at that spot. So it sounds like they're content at two, and uh, that would be the course there. The other part of that, too, is more just talking strictly about quarterback options. I was sitting next to D'Amico Ryans when Lamar Jackson tweeted his uh, trade request. Yeah. And I mean, somebody from Lamar Jackson, yeah. either Lamar Jackson or his camp knew that as soon as John Harbaugh sat down in front of reporters, boop, yeah. hit that thin button. Yeah. That's and what then, we were talking about here in the beginning. I was like, he oh, had man. to have known it what was, time he was planning to sit down because that was everybody, too perfect. Yeah. Everybody immediately starts questioning about that. So um, ask Cal McNair about uh, interest in Lamar Jackson. And Jonathan Alexander, my B partner, we were talking with him as well about back a little back and forth about that. And uh, he, um, let's see, pulling up the exact quote. I like to be correct and accurate with that kind of thing. Uh, but essentially, he didn't rule it out. And he was saying that, you know, that would be someone of interest, but, um, you know, that um, Nick Casario, that's something that he leaves up to him and, uh, that he hadn't talked to Nick Casario about inquiring for Lamar Jackson. And then Jonathan asked, like, is that something that you'd be interested in suggesting to Nick Casario? And he laughed and he was like, I, I mean, I don't need to tell Nick Casario what to be interested in. So yeah. Nick, here's how I think that would probably happen if it were to happen. There, I mean, there are three, three scenarios here, right? So the Ravens are basically saying, if you think you're worth this much money, which the Deshaun Watson fully guaranteed, you know, $230 million contract set and whatever he wants to get close yeah. to that. Yeah. Go prove if it. you think you're worth that, go prove it to other uh, teams. And the teams right now have the ability to basically set the market with him. So for my understanding, the Ravens would have an opportunity possibly to, to say, okay, a, a other team has decided that they want to give you this amount of money what do you say if we give you that money? So they're allowing kind of other teams to 
push the Ravens on their own side to decide whether they want to pay him as much as he wants, or he could decide to leave uh, through trades or, or whatever. So the Texans basically are sitting like this. Uh, let's say it takes this year's two and next year's one, one of them, two first rounders sign him to maybe, maybe it might even take three first rounders. Um, if it's two or one, uh, two or three, they sign him to a, a, a huge deal. And they have a lot of cap space to work with. They could make that happen. But if they feel very confident about Bryce Young or one of both quarterbacks, CJ Stroud or Bryce Young, you're going to get him on a rookie deal. You're going to have um, uh, you have so many other needs that you need to fill across the board. Um, ob- like one of the big conversations of this offseason was how do you fit a quarterback second contract of a premier quarterback and, and build out the rest of your team, the Texans would immediately jump into that problem. Instead of getting one of two elite quarterbacks coming out in the draft and you have one of those two picks. So let's say if they didn't feel confidently in this case, if we think CJ Stroud's number one, they weren't as confident Bryce Young and that gap was this big, you could then theoretically go to the Panthers and say, all right, how about this year's two and next year's one? And for your first, for just to move up one spot. So you're trading less for Lamar Jackson because you don't have to sign that rookie to a huge contract. So these are all the things that I would expect Casario to be inquiring about. And given the options that are available, I think they'd be comfortable enough to stick with the rookie right now. I mean, I'm not in that mindset of Casario. Um, I wish I were. And they're going to have these top 30 meetings with Nick, with uh, Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud. And when I say mindset of Casario, I mean talk to him and hear it from his mouth. But um, top 30, uh, uh, um, these visits, they're going to bring them in, and that will have more information to where, um, you know, how they feel about both these quarterbacks. So um, it's pie in the sky uh, for a lot of people with Lamar Jackson. Um, I believe Arthur Smith from the Falcons – um, yep. said today that um, like when pressed for a reason of why they weren't interested in Lamar Jackson, like, well, he's been injured the last two years. Is he worth <laughs> that money? Yeah. So that's one person speaking what I think a lot of people are feeling. So um, yeah, so that those were some of the main things about the quarterback situation. So right now I think it's most likely that they stay at two and uh, if CJ Stroud's gone, they'd be fully comfortable taking uh, Bryce Young. Would they be fully comfortable taking C.J. Stroud if Bryce Young went number oh, one yeah. overall? I think so. Think so. Yeah. So what? So you uh, y'all split up. Y'all went to the pro days. You got you you got Alabama. What was uh, what did you learn about Mr. Bryce Young and and the Alabama pro day? So Bryce Young, um, in his fifty warm up passes or not his warm up his workout routine, um, clearly showed his strengths that he's. I mean, that's what a pro day is for, is to show what you're best at. And the majority of his passes are 20 yards or less. And he was spraying from all sorts of uh, different angles, going from under center, shotgun. They tried to create a little bit of a pressure just to so, show how he would um, roll out of the pocket. Um, C.J. Stroud called himself a ball placement specialist at the Combine, and his tape reveals that. But Bryce Young is good on the run under center, dropping back. It's clear that he would be able to fit in with any scheme and on the NFL team. And I think with the Texans, 
Um, with Bobby Sloak, they're going to be doing a lot of under, under center. Um, the 49ers, I think they were ninth in the league in terms of under center snaps last year. Um, and that's still less than half. Um, it's, it's, it's not as frequent as I think you people would think. But um, the, the, the thing that I noticed, and I'm looking more into this to see how much of a tendency it is, um, I've, I've gotten through three or four games uh, just looking at Bryce Young and every throw he's made. And what, what, what happened in his pro day is whenever he was throwing 40 yards or more, he was one of five, one of six, um, two were dropped, a couple were overthrown. And all this conversation about his size and his height really annoyed me at first because it was just another repetitive conversation about a dude who's too small. And in Houston, we hear that enough about people like Jose Altuve. But like at a certain point, it doesn't matter. Nick Saban says it doesn't matter. D'Amico Ryan says it do- doesn't matter. Anybody I talk to says it doesn't matter in terms of just height and durability because – Again, the 49ers are a perfect example. Trey Lance getting hurt, Jimmy Garoppolo getting hurt, Brock Purdy getting hurt. Prototype size quarterbacks get hurt too. So the size factor that actually I think is at play here is Bryce Young's I and, and I talked to a few other people about this is that in his throwing motion, whenever he's trying to throw deep, it is a noticeable difference. Um, I mean, all everybody has to muster more strength whenever they're throwing deep, but his accuracy shifts his control shifts whenever he's throwing that far and at Alabama in both years, um, his accuracy wasn't as good as say Mac Jones. And through these first few games that I've watched, um, there are a lot of, you know, wide receiver screens, sideline, trying to get someone open in space, crossing routes within 20 yards, out routes to within 20 yards. That's where his sweet spot is. Whenever he had to throw deep, there's some struggles. Now, is that enough to where the Texans are like, you know what, we're not going with this guy? I I, I don't know. I don't think that's I, that's a good question. And if Nick Casario had talked this week publicly, that would have been one of the questions I'd had. Um, but uh, uh, the other thing that we can go back to is James Litford, the scouting chief, the college side for the Texans. Um, he basically spoke about them as 1A and 1B. He did not seem to have um, – too many reservations about Bryce, but he did, whenever we were talking about positives and negatives about them, he, he stayed away from negatives entirely. I believe he has them. Um, is this enough to say uh, they'd pick Will Levis or Anthony Richardson instead? That'd be kind of a leap right now, in my opinion, just because I what I've talked to people about was basically a few things that I saw within the first three or four games from last year. So, um, and matching it up with what I saw in his pro day. So that was kind of the takeaway there. I do think all the things that Texans are trying to build through Bobby Sloak's offense are all based off of timing, based off of someone who can make throws on the run, someone who can improvise, someone who can make great decisions and uh, in pressure situations. Bryce Young, A-plus on all of those things at Alabama. Um, I think that's enough to get someone in the door and be comfortable to spend a number two pick on. Fantastic. Yeah, that's that's interesting about the the deep deep throw accuracy and you know, I think this system probably be more dependent upon finding spacing, you know, especially in the middle of the field and let your playmakers make plays based on that spacing that you can create and not just be dependent on winning matchups, more so just finding and creating space among the field 
and that just you know makes it that much easier on the quarterback. So I think that's a, a good summation of that. And you know, we were talking before I was talking before you got on here that you know definitely pro Bryce Young, not so big on CJ Stroud. Uh, CJ Stroud just doesn't this doesn't have the it factor, doesn't have the the wow, the you know all the all the good intangibles that I think Bryce Young has, and uh, and so you know. If the team ended up with C.J. Stroud at number two, if Bryce Young went first overall, you know, I'm not going to complain so about it. But what is it about C.J. that you have reservations about? I don't know if it's like his mentality, his his the way he goes about handling himself. And it just he doesn't seem to have that killer factor, that go for it factor. It, it seems more safe. I'm just going to, you know, I'm not it looks like he can get you know, doesn't get past like a second read and he's not going to take off running. You know, it just, a lot of these things, you start putting everything together. It just seems like a very safe quarterback. And maybe that's a good thing. Uh, I, you know, maybe that's not as bad of a thing as I'm making it out to be. He just doesn't seem like he's going to be that guy that you're down, down six points with two and a half minutes to go that you can lean on to take you down the field. Whereas I feel like you could easily lean on Bryce Young to get you down the field in that same situation. Yeah, I mean, the Texas game was a good sign of that early last year because it was such a back-and-forth deal with uh, Alabama and them and then having to drive the field and kick a game-winning field goal. There were many times when Bryce Young would do that. But, I mean, what you bring up is something that I, I remember talking to a few people at the owners' meeting about. And the thing is, the level of competition in the Big Ten – terms of like i'm just looking at it right now so they play notre dame opening up you can say whether you feel like they're a premier sec type team or not arkansas state toledo wisconsin rutgers iowa northwestern indiana maryland and then you have games against penn state and michigan and they lost to michigan um so not a big juggernaut run there everybody everybody points towards the georgia game and the Georgia game is where, like, oh, look, Bryce Young. I mean, not Bryce, he can do it. Yeah. Can yeah. do it. But he didn't have to in the other games. He is not under constant, immense pressure uh, by guys like, you know, all across the board in the SEC. That's just not part of the deal, like, you know, Iowa, right? So um, I forget the name of the prospect, defensive end. Name is evading me right now. But um, yeah, Van has, uh, he didn't start throughout the entire year so like there's yeah there's, that's a funky yeah, thing that iowa does they start their seniors it's a seniority oh, thing <laughs> hey, hey you might be a first round pick but you know what you're coming off the bench all right yeah. you are now our manu ginobili of the edge <laughs> rush but so yeah i mean that was that that's that's the thing that um you know he's got a overcome in his interviews and his workouts and other things like that, because he didn't bring that up himself in the scouting combine. He's like, I wish I had done it more um, and didn't really show up much on tape about being able to improvise, throw on the run, do those kinds of things. Yeah. So, Getting out of structure seems the biggest thing for me with him. But is the Georgia game enough? It at least proves he can do it. And there's a lot of yeah. people on the Georgia side that people are thinking about drafting. So, you know, yeah, and that's I, fair. I mean, I, I get that. I get that that notion, that thought process that, like, he's shown you he can do it. Mm-hmm. We just need to figure out the way to bring that more out of him and, yeah. you know, coach that up at the next level. And I get that. And I, like I said, I, at the end of the day, I'm not going to I'm not going to be upset if Houston ended up with Stroud. I just would be less happy than ending up with 
Bryce yeah. Young. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> well, I, you know, someone else uh, I was talking to, he said if Bryce Young were 6'4", the Panthers would be picking him number one overall and it'd be end of story. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, and I was like, well, that would fix the downfield up throwing as well because you'd have more leverage in your throwing to be able to get down there too. So uh, none of those people – I mean, not that not that person was affiliated with any of the direct teams, but like that's that's kind of the talk right now. Yeah. So let's let's shift away from the draft and kind of get back to the the team that's under contract now. You know, kind of feels like we're about the team's about done with free agency. Uh, still waiting word if the Denzel Perryman thing ends up coming through as official or not. You know, I thought it might have been today, maybe tomorrow. And then we'll see what happens with Kirksey, but you know maybe there's another minor minor signing here or there, like like the Stephen Sims deal. But in my opinion on this free agency, it feels like very targeted position filling signings. Like yeah. we know we have this need here, we're signing this guy. We know we have this specific need here, we're signing this guy. Not necessarily and, getting the best guy available. Right, but it, it feels like a step up in the type of player that they signed compared to the last two offseasons. Last two offseasons felt like scraping the bottom of the barrel kind of thing. This is more like not top-tier guys, but serviceable, above-quality or above-replacement-level type signings, whereas the last two years were all just replacement-level type signings. And then the trade for Shaq Mason, hopefully – that plays out well, you know, hopefully he can return back to the, to the performance of the four previous years before he, he played one year in Tampa, but it felt like it was more targeted type signings. And then it, it feels like there's less immediate holes on the roster. There's still a lot of holes in this roster, but not immediate needed feeling like you you've got to draft a rookie to fill this specific spot it feels like they have a little more leeway with yeah we can draft this you know absent the quarterback at two you know like at 12 or something it feels like we can draft anybody at 12 and not have to make sure that guy is a starter day one you know may you know you hope that you'd hope that he's a starter day one if you're taking him at 12 but it it feels like this roster is more built where you just don't have to have that happen. And then there are positions that have, you know, pretty much almost every position has a veteran covering up the spot. Now the rookie could come in and, and beat out, you know, they took an edge at 12. It could easily come in and beat out Jerry Hughes, could come in and easily be out, beat out Grenard and be your day one starter. And that's fine. And then the other guy ends up as your depth. But that's just kind of my feel on, this free agency run it's just more targeted slightly above better slightly better player signings um nothing's an overspin they stuck with their evaluations um you know they missed out on probably four or five players from what i hear offline just from letting that play that player's uh money offer from other teams exceeded their valuation and they were going to stick to their valuation and, and not overspend so it, it that's just kind of my viewpoint on it. I kind of wanted to get your overarching take of free agency and how they've cultivated this roster from free agency so far. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I would say most of that I agree with. And the thing is, is like, um, I almost wonder if this was um, kind of the plan from the beginning was that you'd start with these short term contracts of people that you could afford. And then, I mean, there were names that nobody even knew, really, if, unless you're really deep into football and understanding. Mm -hmm. OK, so this person, you know, was you know, back up or whatever. Now he's available. And then last year you would pick up some guys that had some injury, uh, like an Obo Okoronkwo, right? Like, okay, so he might have had some potential with the Rams but just could never really get to see the field, and now he needs a prove-it deal. You've heard of him. There's a caliber for him. Sign him, see what happens. This year, I mean, the main thing that I think uh, keeps them from being a top spender is not exactly – the money that they gave some of these players, it's that the years are different. Um, like if they were to give the annual year for, you know, Sheldon Rankins, like if they were going to do three years out, like for different guys like that, if they were to do a long-term deal with Dalton Schultz, like their, their spending would be a little bit higher. But um, I mean, you would, I, I, I got the sense that um, and talking to D'Amico Ryan's about this on Monday, um, about the free agents wrote a story about that. And that was, I thought a really interesting conversation because really um, open about that. How he was like, we're not just going to pay players just to pay them. And um, if you have, you know, you're not going to give a money to a B or a C player and you're not going to get caught in bidding wars. So that's a, that's what happened with them. And now I was looking at a lot of like the premier players that were untouchable, like the Darren Payne's who signed back, with the commander's defensive tackle that people would all have liked the Roquan Smith, the Daniel, like, and then like you were all the people under that. I was just looking through some of those. So like, let's see how the Darren Payne signing impacted the subsequent markets. Right. So the Broncos, um, they had a defensive, you know, interior Zach, guy out to your guy. Zach Allen, yeah. Jermont Jones. Yeah. He went to um, Seattle and yeah. Got a three years, $51 million contract. And, you uh, you know didn't even start in a full season for all of them in four years. Like, is that a guy that Texans wanted to give a three-year deal for? And like the Jaguars last year, they spent a quarter of a billion dollars on players that at least had been you know out there um, mm -hmm. and had been contributing. Like the Christian Kirk, people would be like, "Wow, you overspent on that," but that was a big-time contributor, yeah. and like that was what it was reasonable to in some ways to outspend people to get a good player on your roster. The Texans, like if they had done that with, I don't know, what would be an example? Uh, like, okay. Juju Smith Schuster, right? Yeah. That's a good one. Does he need Christian Kirk money? Like, I don't know. Like, do they need to put themselves in a position with that when they have all these, all like 12 draft picks to work with? Um, I still think that there are definite positions that they could address at 12 that like, I almost think that they need a starter at wide receiver. I just do. I, I, I mean, you don't have full confidence that, I mean, Robert Woods is coming off at two seasons of like 500 to set within 500 to 650 yards. And he's turning 31, 32. Um, is he going to be a guy you can commit to on every like, can he be a go-to guy like Brandon Cooks was the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, Noah Brown did good uh, last year as really like as a third, fourth wide receiver for the Cowboys, and it was the first time he ever got significant snaps, but there's questions there. 
We don't. We have no idea what John Mechie looks like on the field. Yeah. Um, and that's Nico Collins can't put together a full season yet. Full so. season. So you need you need a wide receiver. I almost feel like twelve. You have to, mm-hmm. um, especially if you're going to draft a rookie quarterback. Especially if, like we were saying earlier, well, I was saying earlier, if you if you need to have um, open spacing within twenty yards, you need somebody that can get separation and separation quick. So. Um, that's that's I think something that they need to address at twelve. Uh, the offensive line, I still think uh, they definitely need to uh, add more. Um, yeah, the center to, position for sure. You don't needs, you don't have a center. A I even I even wonder if you need a guard again because, I mean, Kenyon Green after one year, you're not going to throw him out just because he had a you know a, a, a you know he struggled as a rookie. They. Casario said often that they look at it in two, three-year increments with players like that. But Shaq Mason's entering his low 30s. You know how productive is he going to be long term? Are they going to sign him long term? Um, defensive edge, yeah. I mean, so that would be the conversation at 12. Is um, uh, Tyree Wilson from Texas Tech is he available to pick? There is. Um, I mean, even like let's just say Jalen Carter drops to 12. I don't think mm-hmm. he will. But if he drops there, you've already addressed with. Okay, so you have Rankins. Yeah, but you but you got Malik Collins and Sheldon Rankins who are going to be free, you know, potential free the agents next year. next year. So there there should be, if the you know absent the person personal issues and whatever issues are out there, just from a performance standpoint, that is absolutely a guy that you can draft and work him into the rotation, and then he takes over that spot in twenty twenty four. It, probably the back half of 2023, right. but that, you know, it's just, that's what I'm saying is like a lot of the veterans, this team signed, it's just kind of a bridge for the first half of the season, first 10 weeks of the season until the draft pick or whoever can, can float in there and pick it up and run with it. And, or whether yeah. it's a two year thing or whatever, cause you know, like certain positions like tight ends and things like that seem to take a little bit longer to develop. And we see this is a very big tight end class. So, you know, do you end up, finding a very good tight end on in the third round. And maybe that qu- puts a question mark on if you need to resign Schultz, you know, it's, it gives you a little, a little roster flexibility for the future. And that's one of the things I wanted to ask Casario about this week. If he had, we had, we had been able to was like, okay, you, you have the overall Caronco situation where you bring him in, he gets an opportunity. He looks really good down the back end of the stretch. And then he gets a deal elsewhere and, they, they didn't re-sign him, whether that's schematic or whatever, um, or, or, or what you're, you're now at the risk of if Schultz does really well, if Devin Singletary does really well, all these one-year guys, mm-hmm. Rankins, whatever, you can't keep them all. Or um, what, what's, what's the, what's the strategy there? Is it, is it a bridge or do you, do you have a confidence that through conversations with these guys that, Hey, if, we're a coming up team and we make a a Jacksonville type run and, you know, surprise everybody or get to a a Detroit lions type of turnaround where you're at least at eight and nine, nine and eight kind of around there. Will they stick around? Um, I I just, I don't, I don't know the answer to that. So um, yeah, we, we don't. And, but we, we've seen now, albeit it's been very low level deals, but we see Casario's, willing to do in-season extensions as well. So, you know, that's always an option. Last year. He didn't, I think he did one last yeah. year. Yeah, Cashman. Yeah. 
and the year before that was Tremont Smith and and Burkhead. So like I said, they've all been low level type of extensions, not anything above above you know anything big deal or anything like that. But I, you know that's that's always an option. But you you know that's that's kind of like the the backdrop. You have pros and cons to these one year deals. Pros is you have this roster flexibility, but the back problem is is if the guy hits, then you're having to repay him at the next right. market value. Whereas if you had signed into a three year deal and he hits, more than likely the second and third year numbers that you have in place on that contract are going to be below market value. So that that's kind of the 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 hedge that you have on that. And there's some injury protection, injury liability associated with two-year contracts versus a one-year deal. But it just, you know, that seems to be his MO at this point is just sticking with the one and two-year deals and and nothing more. And, you know, if the guy hits, then you hope you can you can get him re-signed. Because so. that, that strategy leaves you really reliant on hitting on new draft picks. Mm-hmm. Because, yep. I mean, those are the long, consistent ones. And right now we're looking at the 21 draft and wondering if any of those guys are going to start. So, I mean, how long – so once you – so let's say they go another year. Now you have Stingley on his third year of the 25 season. Now we're getting way out ahead. Mm-hmm. But, like, um, are you then starting to, I don't know, supplement the rookies you have around with, like, long-term – basically the question I would want to know is, are you building through the draft? Like initially that is that where your foundation you think you are and you're, you're just kind of getting these short-term players to give you flexibility to eventually, once you have your base of rookies to sign the big, you know, free agents that match up with that. Um, And if that's the case, it seems to make sense because throughout the past couple of years, there's been very little to no change through their scouting department, even through this past off season, no changes in the scouting department. So that means they have a lot of confidence in at least the evaluation of players that they're going to add, whether it be rookies or, or free agents. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's an interesting, interesting conversation. One I would, I would love to have with the team just to get the philosophy behind it and do you like you said if if you start hitting on your draft picks and you start having to re-sign those guys then does that change your your thinking of how you how you manage free agency and you know because like like D'Amico said you're paying a money for a b player that's typically what you're doing in free agency is you're paying top of the market value for a player whether it's that player is a five million dollar a year player a 20 million dollar a year player yeah. so you're you're paying top of the that specific player's market on top of you have to always question why is the previous team not keeping that player why are they letting them walk why are they not re-signing them what are, you know maybe it's a change in system changing coach and sometimes that's the case but there's other cases like well, they're not resigning him for a reason we need to figure out what that reason is so right. free agency is always a crapshoot always has been always will be and hopefully Dalton Schultz or a couple of these players will, will end up hitting and maybe they can retain them this, you know, this time next year instead of watching them walk. Cause they're going to, they're until they get a, a bigger foundation of a roster, 
they're still like next year, they're more than likely they're still going to have a large number of free agents to sign just by proxy of the, the one year deals that they did, did this year. So they're, they're probably two or three years away from being able to play in the compensatory pick game. So until you get your free agent, your, your rookie foundation in place to get into that Baltimore Ravens type of foundation, then is when you can start really focus, letting players walk. Cause you already have a, a, a drafted player in place ready to backfill that spot. And then you can play the p- compensatory pick game, but they're still a couple of years away from that process. Right. So, well, right now they got a compensatory uh, Mr. Irrelevant. So there you go. <laughs> yeah. I saw that. Um, yeah. That was the, uh, that was uh, the league. It was a supplement or supplementary pick. It wasn't yeah. a compensatory pick. <laughs> <laughs> because they they took away their fifth rounder, so they ended up getting a six pack just because they were uh, number two on the list. Yeah, I asked uh, the McNairs this morning about that and the uh, the appeal process, and they were like, they 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 weren't they weren't happy about the fifth round pick being gone. Let's, let's say that I I talked to a few people, and they were just dumbfounded that that was the penalty, like. Based yeah. on based on the fact that it was what it was with the you know that they were paying for hotel or whatever, in most cases that would have just been a salary cap adjustment on the books and nothing more. And I am steadfast; you will never be able to convince me otherwise that this was the NFL's taking their chance at. We couldn't punish you for all the crap that y'all did or didn't do with Sean Watson. So we're going to use this situation to do it. Yeah. And, but use the cover of what the yeah. real detail is. And that would I'm be convinced. That, that's what happened. That is, that is how I understand it because um, I asked Roger Goodell yesterday about the timing because the timing was also interesting because they had their whole investigation into Deshaun Watson. They, they leveled the fine in August. So then in March, is whenever they released that the Texans were so that's about almost half a year. Yeah. So um, what happened between that and that's what I was asking Roger was Goodell was that um, was there a separate investigation? Was there some other revelation? Whatever. And he said it was the same one they discovered in that, and then there was the appeal process. So that means the Texans were fighting that for a while. Um. So, um, the NFL didn't even say what the offsite uh, gym membership was. Um, they didn't really say much in their release. Um, now I talked to some people that I knew um, around that and they confirmed that it was the Houstonian. Everybody could probably get that sense because everybody yeah. knows the story, the, the investigation, what happened. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this was, this was a scenario where the, yeah, the NFL was uh, drawing, drawing the, I mean, Tony Busby, who represented the women who sued Deshaun Watson for sexual assault, said that, I mean, he sued the Texans, too, and said that they enabled uh, Deshaun Watson's behavior by setting him up at at the Houstonian. And um, so the NFL, through their investigation, through that, calls it a salary cap violation. And yeah, in some ways, it's like, um, yeah, I mean, like there are other examples and, you know, that through other not even sports related instances where like the um, I don't know, Congress will go into an investigation and then they, they lead into different things that they find. I mean, through the Washington with the uh, Washington franchise, they, you know, they 
go through a thorough investigation, find other things, and then you end up punishing them for that too. So that's that's also kind of what happened here. Yeah. Yeah, you're you're never gonna get me off of that hill for sure. So all right. So yeah, that's about all I had tonight. Um sorry for you know, being we got, oh no, you're good. Um definitely a you know exciting four weeks heading up for the team. Like I said, I think free agency's more or less done. And then, you know, we'll just have to wait and see how things shake out between the 18 million uh, mock drafts that everybody runs through over these next four weeks and and uh, see what the team can come up with and heading up to draft night. And um, I saw a couple of questions that had come through about explaining void years. Um, just if you can go back and rewatch this, I did. If you were late to the show, like Brooks, uh, I did cover uh, some void years at the first part of the show. So hopefully you can, uh, the folks that were asking that question uh, can go back and watch that part. Um, but what's your favorite Taylor Swift song though? Cap? Who was that a birdie question? Yes. <laughs> my, he's my biggest fan. He, he loves to tell me I'm wrong all the time. Oh, I mean, my favorite Taylor Swift song. So I really don't listen to a whole lot of Taylor Swift, but I still like shake it off. I mean, I, all right. Hey, it's still a good, it's still a, when it comes on, you just have to sing it. It's that's all I had to say. I, I can't cool. not. So all right. I did, uh, welcome to New York was pretty good too. Cause my, my, when my daughter was younger, that was one of her favorite songs to listen to on the way to uh, school every morning. So that would be my choice. All so right. all choices. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, we will call that a night. I uh, appreciate everybody listening in i will be out next week so no show next week and we'll resume the week after that a little vaca- vacation next week so with that we will call a night i'll get the podcast version up later this week and i appreciate everybody listening in and make sure you hit that like button make sure you hit that subscribe button and follow brooks on twitter formerly known as digi at b cabina and follow his work at the houston chronicle houstonchronicle.com and Follow me on Twitter at Texans Cap. So with that, we will call it a night. Everybody have a good evening. Thank you.